0: Welcome to Beyond the Board, the podcast that explores the themes and real-life inspirations behind tabletop games. I'm Mike Riemann. And I'm Michael Sater. And on today's episode of Beyond the Board, we'll be discussing the themes behind the game
1: Coup.
0: Puh. Yes, Coop. Uh, the P is silent if you haven't played Coup. Uh, <laughs> so Coup is a uh, social deduction card game. I think that's the genre of game that it fits into. Uh, and it's about... Uh, basically, uh, f- fooling fooling the bad guys or fooling fooling the your opponents on what you have and being able to uh,
1: eventually take away all the influence from other players. Right, um, you have influential members of a, of a government in a dystopian world is kind of the the, mm-hmm. the lore to the game. Um, so you might have a, a a duke, a captain, an assassin, uh, a. Um, Yeah, there are others. Uh, But it's great uh, because each one of those has a power. But the fun part about it is that even though you have two cards, you might want to use a power for a card you do not have. Mm. So you can just go ahead and do it Um, until someone says, I don't think you have that card. And then you use some influence. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But you don't say bullpucky, you say you're your challenger, and then ultimately you lose influence if you're lying or if you decide not to show your card.
1: That's true. Uh, or the biggest move, which is, of course, the coup, where you pay money that you've been collecting the whole game to just do that automatically to another player who you think is a threat.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so it's a fun game, fun game to play with a lot of people. Um, and uh, in the theme of this game, we are going to be talking about uh, some famous betrayals in history uh, and or fiction, depending on how you see certain things uh <laughs> anyway uh, so uh, th- without further ado uh, we're gonna go a little back and forth on this maybe add some extra stuff but uh, but yeah without further ado Mr. Seder yeah. go ahead who do you got first Well I
1: thought I'd do one of the most famous betrayers in history and that is Judas Iscariot Ooh? yeah right mm. now uh, Judas is one of the twelve apostles of Jesus Christ and he was known. <laughs> <laughs> he was known mostly for offering to betray Jesus to the the religious authorities in exchange for 30 pieces of silver. That's Mm -hmm. the legend. Um, The New Testament describes how Judas took the soldiers to Gethsemane, where Jesus was praying, and then went in and kissed him uh, to identify which one of these people was Jesus, who was trying to keep a low profile. The famous Um, kiss. There is also a legend that says that Jesus actually knew Judas would betray him and just didn't try to stop him.
0: Yeah, I think that's how I was raised Catholic, and that's how we were always told. It sure. was always just like, and this is the moment that like, that you betray me or, or something right. like that. Um, uh, clearly, I was raised a very good Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> uh, then, then all like that good. stayed with this, you, evidently. This is the like, time you kiss me and uh, everything goes to hell.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, there are... Uh, Divergent accounts that say uh, that Judas either regretted his betrayal and returned the money and committed suicide, mm-hmm. or that he actually died accidentally and never did return the money. Oh um, yeah, I
0: think the romantic version is that he he returned the money uh, or th-
1: just threw it and was just like screw it, and then he and hung, hanged himself yeah. in the desert. Yes, yeah. Um, uh, that's actually a, a fun fact when you're talking about people. It's hanged and objects is are Is it hung. a fun fact,
0: Mike? Well, no. Is it a fun fact? No, it's not fun. <laughs> okay. Uh, is it hanged? Is but, that the past tense of...
1: <laughs> yes, of, it... of, of, uh, of a person's execution. Oh, interesting. Hanged. Okay. Um, uh, but the real big mystery here uh, with Judas and Jesus is why this betrayal took place. Um, there are several explanations for it. In the earliest account, it's the Gospel of Mark, he goes to the chief priests to betray Jesus. He is offered the money as a reward. But it's not clear that money would be his motivation. There are a lot of holes in that theory. The first being that 30 pieces of silver today would be the equivalent of about $3,500. Hmm. It's really just not that much money to betray who you believe to be the son of God.
0: Yeah. Unless, unless he didn't truly believe, unless he was doubting...
1: That very well time, could be. Yeah. Um, but then in that case, money is not the actual motivation for the betrayal. Mm. Um, there is another account in the Gospel of Matthew that says they will pay him. Uh, he asks what they will pay him for handing Jesus over, which goes against the initial offer of we will pay you this much if you betray Jesus. He goes in to betray Jesus first and then asks what it's worth. Mm. Um, And then there is uh, other accounts in the Gospel of Luke and John where the devil enters into Judas, causing him to offer to betray Jesus. And uh, the uh, the Gospel of John account has Judas complaining that the money has been spent on expensive perfumes to anoint Jesus, and it could have been spent on the poor. Um, And it also adds that Judas was actually the keeper of the apostle's purse and would commonly steal from it. Hmm. So this is painting a more evil betrayal of, of Judas rather than a person who uh, makes this mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is another suggestion that Judas expected Jesus to overthrow the Roman, Roman rule of Judea and so tried to stop him for very political reasons, because he did not think that this was a good idea. Uh, Judas was more of a disillusioned disciple betraying Jesus, and not so much because he loved money or because of greed, but because he loved his country and thought that Jesus had failed it. Mm-hmm. Um, another is that uh, Jesus causing unrest uh, would increase tensions between the Roman authorities, and they thought they should— that. Jesus should be restrained until after the Passover when everyone had gone back home and uh, the commotion had kind of died down. Mm-hmm.
0: It's interesting. I You, you think about like – and, and <clears throat> like I was saying, being raised Catholic, I, I think about the story of Judas and I think about – he was a 12 – he's one of the 12 dis- disciples. He never like appears anywhere else, I feel like. He just shows up in, in that one place. It, well, like
1: time. That's interesting because he actually does show up in another codex discovered in the 1970s mm. in Egypt that was taken. It was out. buried under a tree uh, they, in the well, <laughs> backyard. Uh, oh. They 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 believe that it may have been tried to uh, you know that somebody tried to kind of erase his part in history. Mm. Um, so there is this text that they now call the Gospel of Judas, that uh, it, you know it was a text that was lost for 1,700 years and. Uh, in the, I have not read any of that text, but I did read the National Geographic article about that text <laughs> that suggests that Christ's betrayer was actually his truest disciple, um, uh. because there are suggestions in in the texts uh, uh, in these Gospels that say that uh, Jesus foresaw and allowed Judas's betrayal, and one explanation is that Jesus actually thought that this would allow God's plan to be fulfilled. This is how I have to die is as a martyr
0: yeah yeah I mean like I feel like he every everywhere that we were taught was it was always he knew what was he knew what was up. Like, I mean, it's just in the Last Supper. He says, one of you will betray me. Like, he knows exactly what's going to happen. Right. So.
1: And there are some scholars that suggest that Jesus actually asked Judas to betray him Ooh, um, interesting. in order to—because he was probably destined for crucifixion anyway, and this was the best time to do it.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, uh, is that is that all you got that's, on that's Judas? That's what I got on Judas. Perfect. Yeah. Um well, uh, I have, my next one is the Rosenbergs. Oh, uh, yes. Uh, Julius and Ethel Rosenberg. Now, I just I'd... want
1: to throw a quick fun fact sure, in here. fun fact. My mother's parents are Julius and Ethel. Rosenberg? No. Oh. <laughs> but their names are Julius and Ethel. That's and fun. It's just, that's a fun fact. That's very fun.
0: Uh, weird? <laughs> it's weird. But very fun. Yes. Wait, hold on. Your mother's parents? My mother's parents. Were they Jewish? Yes. Ah, uh, interesting. mm mm-hmm. uh,
1: Hmm. (laughs) But they were Julius and Ethel Smith. Oh,
0: yeah. That's an easy name Uh from (laughs) Rosenberg. Uh, So Julius and Ethel Rosenberg, they were an American couple accused of spying for the Soviet Union during the Cold War. They were from Jewish families uh, in New York City. They married in 1939, and then Julius served throughout World War II in the military, and he eventually was discharged because he had previous involvement in the Communist Party. And so... Throughout the entire Cold War, they provided thousands of top secret reports on aeronautics and atomic bomb constructions all to the Soviets, as well as recruiting sympathizers to that same cause. Uh, David Greenglass, he was actually the one, uh, he was the first to be caught in this whole uh, uh, sympathizing spying case. And then he told the authorities about the Rosenberg's activities. Julius Rosenberg was eventually arrested uh, in in 1950, and then his wife Uh, a few weeks later. Uh, They had two kids as well, uh, but I'll get to them in a little bit. So Julius and Ethel were charged uh, with treason and conspiracy to commit espionage, and then they were indicted. And uh, Ethel was on the stand, and she was unable to complete her testimony and ended up leaving the courthouse in tears. And uh, her attorney kept begging for parole because of her two kids, and it was unfortunately denied. They eventually were were convicted and executed. Now, there's a lot of uh, speculation with whether Ethel had actually been involved in this. Uh, Julius definitely was, with a lot of other stuff backing it. Uh, but eventually, they were both put in the electric chair. Um, just I read minutes that after each uh, other.
1: a lot of what was used to convict uh, Ethel was holes in Julius's testimony and mm. not actual evidence.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, but uh, the two kids, uh, Michael and Robert, that were left, uh, they spent the majority of their lives trying to prove their parents' innocence. And uh, eventually, some stuff came out, and they were like, "Okay, Dad might have been a spy, but they were really were like, Mom definitely wasn't." Uh, and that's uh, it's not as in depth as your uh, Judas Iscariot, but those are that's a quick. Quick little history, history of, of it, the Rosenbergs. Yeah. I, I didn't know much about the Rosenbergs. Uh, I knew the names, just like Benedict Arnold. You hear the name, and,
1: and I'm just like, okay, what happened? And I asked you about that earlier, but we'll get to that in honorable sure, mentions. Yeah. I'm sure. And you know, if anything, I'm usually very, very brief. So it's surprising I would go into depth on. Yeah, you're usually you usually don't ramble about anything. No. Uh, what do you have uh, next? Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, I thought I'd do another very famous betrayer, mm-hmm. uh, and that is uh, Brutus. A two. Judas. Yes, that's the one. Um, and I'm going to pause right here because I want to say Brutus's whole name, but I can never remember it. Do you actually want to pause or do you want to include this in there? Uh, w- I mean, you're welcome to include the <laughs> fact that I was looking up Marcus Junius Brutus the Younger. Marker, Marcus Junius? Marcus Junius Brutus the Younger, who actually uh, changed his name um, when he was adopted by his uncle to Quintus Servillus Capio Brutus and then changed it back.
0: Whoa. Yeah. Those are some names back then. Right? Junius. Junius. Junius?
1: Like J-U-N-I-U-S? You got it.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: Yeah. Because I feel like everything actually in Roman is just three letters and then I-U-S somehow. Puppius. <laughs> Mummius. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Puppies, <mummies>. yes. <laughs> I've come home from schoolies. <laughs> Um So, uh... Brutus of course was a uh, a senator in Rome and part of a group of disgruntled sem- uh, senators who stabbed the Caesar to death. Mm-hmm. The Caesar
0: or Well, yes. Caesar.
1: Julius Caesar was the Caesar of Rome. At the
0: oh, time. I guess it was yeah, I guess they were called Caesars.
1: Yes. Well, uh, it's I actually right? I
0: can't recall quite how that
1: works now. Mm. Does that come from Tsar? Like is that where Tsar? Very very well or Tsar came from that? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> well um, but despite it being one of his closest friends, he still was part of this plot to murder Caesar. It is kind of cemented by the Shakespeare play and, and his classic line within that play, which is et tu Brutus, then fall Caesar, um, or et tu Brute. Uh, but he probably never said anything like that because he was currently busy being stabbed to death. Oh. So that might just be... Okay. yeah. There are accounts that say he simply, uh, uh, he tried to fight back against it, saw Brutus, and then just covered his face with his cape and allowed himself to die. Mm. Um, uh, But it was not a decision that Brutus would make lightly. He loved Caesar. He just loved the Roman Republic more. Mm. And the rest of the Senate used that loyalty to convince him that Caesar had to die for the Republic to be spared. Uh, Historically speaking, they were probably correct. Julius was known for wielding political power like a dictator, which was, of course, resented by a Senate that was trying to run a republic. Um, Caesar's rampages were beginning to look as though he would actually dismantle the Roman Republic entirely and rule effectively as a king, rather than this temporary martial law that had been instilled. For Brutus, there was also a question of heritage. His ancestor, who was also named Brutus, had been the one to overthrow the Roman monarchy in... 509 BC, so not that long before this. Well, a few hundred years. Uh, And the Senate used that fact to their advantage, and that's how they kind of convinced Brutus that killing Caesar was his destiny. Whether it was or not it was truly fate, he kind of came out of this looking like an ultimate backstabber, one of the largest betrayers in history. Yeah, but um, I guess it wouldn't
0: have have worked without everybody involved, right? No, absolutely. They
1: needed a group of people. Um, Mm -hmm. And actually, the plot, as we kind of understand it, is that first, uh, there were a bunch of portents for this to happen that Caesar's wife believed in very much, and Caesar did not believe in, so she tried to stop him from going to the Senate that day, and he refused to not go. Then there was a, uh, another senator who stopped to ask Caesar a question outside of the courthouse to kind of delay him to let everyone get ready, and kept, like, tugging on his cape and things like that. Um, and then when he finally got in there, was ambushed by a, a, a waiting mob. It's tough to say what if this is literary now and what if what is uh, yeah because it's actually has
0: been told so many different ways and so right. many different times yeah
1: yeah um, but then afterwards uh, Brutus and another senator named Cassius who was uh, instrumental in convincing Brutus to murder Caesar uh, were forced out of Rome by public dissent the public loved Caesar and so did a lot of the other senators and 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 uh, military rulers that were in Rome at the time um, so. Rome now, under the leadership of Mark Antony, sent Brutus and Cassius away to Greece, and just gave them provinces in the east to rule over. Oh, and consolation. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, They gradually, through these like power struggles, seized almost all of the Roman East as it was still acting as quote unquote senators. Mm -hmm. Um, So it just kind of seized all these armies and treasuries and like squeezed all this money out of out of uh, Western Asia. and uh, turned the wealth into Roman gold, but also put his face on it. So he just had a bunch of brutus stamped coins, which (laughs) is a super Caesar move. That's exactly (laughs) what Caesar did. Um, He idolized them. in, In the year 42, he and Cassius met with Mark Antony and Octavian, in these two battles at Philippi. And Cassius killed himself after being defeated in the first battle, and Brutus killed himself after being defeated in the second battle. And Mark Antony uh, gave Brutus an honorable burial, saying that he was a very honorable man, but deserved to die yeah. in these battles. Um, <laughs> hey, that's kind of ironic, considering that's kind of
0: what Brutus was thinking.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And there's a lot of accounts that say Brutus was this stoic, which at the time was a like a following, to be a stoic. But the rest of the historical accounts say that he was uh, arrogant and that he was uh, cruel in a lot of his dealings and that he considered a lot of these people to be inferiors, including uh, anyone provincial and the kings of these states that Rome was taking over, that he would treat them very cruelly as inferiors. He was admired by a lot of these Roman aristocrats, and after his death, he became a symbol of resistance to tyranny, but probably because of this one point in his life, uh-huh. and not because of his actual actions.
0: Interesting.
1: Yeah. too Brute. Right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, speaking of Rome, it's not too far away from Greece. That's true. And so uh, I'm going to talk about the Greek trader, Iphialtes of Trachis. I said that right, Ifyeltes.
1: If Wait, is that what
0: that little E means? Eh? eh. Yes, e- eh. Eh. Ifyeltes. Yes. Uh, so, F-Eltis, uh I don't know if you've ever seen the movie 300, uh, <laughs> but that's where uh, I originally was thinking about this guy. Uh, so, he became uh, really infamous in Greece uh, after he betrayed his country to the Persians in 480 BC. That was during the Battle of Thermopylae. And he led the Persian army uh, to a path that gave access to behind the Spartan line, and he was hoping, obviously, for a reward. So the allied Greek lands forces, which uh, Herodotus states no more than 4,200 men, had chosen Thermopylae to block the advance of a much larger Persian army, which was led by Xerxes. Uh, <laughs> who was a god who couldn't bleed. Who was a god. <laughs> he wore a lot of gold I, chains. He, I mean, according to the movie 300. <laughs> uh, and then so although they, the gap between the uh, Trichenean cliffs and the Mylan Gulf was only wide enough for a single carriage. Uh, it could be bypassed by a trail that led over the mountains south of Thermopylae and joined on the main road behind the actual Greeks' position. Herodotus notes that the trail was well known to the locals who had used it in the past for raiding the neighboring Phocians. Phocians? Phocians. Phocians. Is that how you say that? Yeah. Oh, that makes more sense. There's gonna be a <laughs> lot of words in here. Uh, so the Persians ended up using this trail to outflank the Spartans. And the Spartan king, Leonidas, sent away most of the Greeks, but he himself remained with a rear guard composed of his men. And uh, I guess that is the fabled 300. Legend has it. It's 300 men. Yeah, yeah which uh, which is, uh, Zack Snyder turned into. Wait, hold on. Zack Snyder wrote, wrote the comic? I don't know. Frank Miller wrote the comic. Yeah, Zack Snyder did yep. the movie. Yep. That makes sense. Yeah, so so I- uh he was the one who he decided to... There's, there's a couple different thoughts about who he was. Uh, in, in the old movie, in 1962, the movie called The 300 Spartans, he was portrayed uh, as a lone goat farmer, and he was offered a bunch of riches and everything to betray the Greeks and then gave the Persians a special path. But in the movie, he is known as a deformed creature who, who uh, I think in the movie, they're very kind to him, or Leonidas is really nice to him, and he's like, can you, can you lift your arm, pass a certain... Height because there's a certain uh, defensive pose that they need to get into in order to 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 work as a one full unit and he couldn't do it and and he wanted to prove himself to his father and mother uh, and so um, and to prove himself he sold out uh, his entire uh, country and to Xerxes and was promised gold and riches. Uh, but they eventually, once he was or he did betray the Spartans, he he was, he was a bounty was put on his head, and he eventually was killed. I think for other reasons is what they say. But but yeah, things. I didn't think really it's work probably a
1: literary device though, making him this Caliban, the hunchback. Yeah, you know that that uh, he probably did suffer some slight at the hands of of the government of the army or something like that, and that may have been a good reason. But portraying him as this uh, monster almost is probably that literary device. Yeah. In
0: the movie, there's this one famous line where Leonidas is, wishes him to live forever, which is an insult to the Spartans because they would die with honor in battle, and that was their their whole thing. Right. So, um, yeah, once again, a short little betrayal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but if you if you get a chance, watch the movie 300. It's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> little little plug for three hundred
1: <laughs> for, for a little known film oh, yeah, called yeah, yeah. 300 I
0: hundred. I c I can't I can't not think of the narrator in that film. The one lone survivor, which I didn't find anything patch. about, yeah, the uh what
1: was oh god? He's what was such his a name? he's such a Sean Bean type.
0: Yeah. But I can't remember his name. Um
1: It's Dilios. Dilios. It's
0: David Wenham is Dilios. David
1: Wenham.
0: I don't know the actor, but no.
1: <laughs> he was the one
0: who played the narrator and uh He's just got a really good voice. Uh, King Leonidas.
1: Leonidas. Leonidas. And Uh, his
0: 300 Spartans. So I just have one more. Please. All right. So I
1: have no idea what this one is, and I'm very excited to learn. I wanted to talk a little bit about Dennis Nedry and (laughs) uh, what we call the Ila Nublar incident in 1993. Now, Dennis Nedry was hired by InGen, this Mm -hmm. uh, uh, technology company, uh, as a computer programmer. And while he was working there, he ran into this financial trouble and began to believe that InGen wasn't paying him enough to do his job. So Nedry decided to accept a job from uh, uh, another man with a company called Biosyn. Yeah. Um, And that man's name, of course, was Louis Dodson. Um, Dodson? He he was supposed to steal InGen's important research for one and a half million dollars Uh, so that Biosyn could catch up with the market. Now, the two met at this restaurant in San Jose where uh, Dodson gave Dennis about half the payment. I read about that. Now, afterward, Dennis Nedry Nedry returned to the island Nublar to get back to work, uh, waiting until it was nighttime, so he needed to get into this cold storage room uh, undetected. So he created this computer program called White Rabbit. It was a backdoor that would disable all of the security in the whole facility. Uh, he initiated this plan after he received a call from one of the agents that he was working for, and they were at the island's dock. This whole facility is on an island, so they were at the island's dock and said, we have to leave now because there's a storm coming. Uh, so you have to you have to get it now and you have to come, even though Nedry felt like his program that, wasn't ready. White Rabbit wasn't storm, ready. Yeah. But he still, he had to initiate it right away, so he executed this program, left his uh, colleagues kind of in, in, the, in the room and told them that some of the security would be down because it was uh, the files were compiling so that the security systems would go on and off and that no one needed to worry. So now that the security was down and most of the employees had left to escape uh, the storm that was about to hit the island, uh, he went to the cold storage room and he uh, was trying to escape uh, in a jeep to get to the docks uh, to get this information out. He
0: got what he needed oh, in the cold yeah, storage Yeah, he did. Room, right? yes, yeah, 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 yeah.
1: But there was a heavy rainfall at the time, and it disoriented him, and he got lost in the forest of the oh, island uh, while he was driving on, on his way to the docks. And he ended up driving off the road and crashing into a fallen tree. So he got out the tow cable of the jeep. But he got stuck in the mudslide that was uh, occurring because of the rainstorm that had hit the island, and uh, he lost his glasses, and so he's trying to get the rope around the tree when a juvenile Dilophosaurus began to stalk him. (laughs) Now... He had already disabled most of the park's security, so it disabled many of the security fences that kept the dinosaurs from escaping in their paddocks, uh, except for the raptor pen, of course. Yeah, of course. Um, Allowing dinosaurs like the Dilophosaurus (laughs) to roam freely. He insulted the Dilophosaurus before he tries to get back in his Jeep, but then uh, uh, he slips again, of course, and when he looks back, the Dilophosaurus sprayed this tar-like venom uh, at his chest. Mm. It just hit him in the chest but the Dilophosaurus spits again and covers his face with this uh, poisonous saliva, and he knocks his head on the roof of the Jeep, and he loses the uh, shaving cream can that had all the dinosaur embryos in it. So, afterwards... he got them from cold storage. He did. He got them from cold storage. Uh, And afterwards, he actually managed to get inside the Jeep, but to his misfortune, the Dilophosaurus had already gotten into the passenger seat, and the doors of the Jeep were closed, so there was nowhere for Dennis Nedry to run, and the Dilophosaurus proceeded to devour him alive. However... There is a joke. Uh, that was made that you don't actually see him get devoured alive, so he might appear in Jurassic World lo- missing an arm and with an eye patch. Um, I'm glad it didn't happen. <laughs> His body was never recovered. Uh, two representatives from Biosyn did manage to recover the dinosaur embryos in the shaving cream can, but it never made it off the island. And that's my last betrayer. So who's the betrayer in that? <laughs> Dennis Nedry.
0: Oh, not the Dilophosaurus. It's Got not. It. Just checking. That's a good last one. Uh, I did. I completely forgot about that.
1: Ah ah ah. Ah uh, uh, uh. <laughs> yes. uh, Well, do you have anything else? Do you got? Uh... Oh, we could do some honorable mentions. Sure. You what know, are some uh, honorable mentions uh, you got. Well, we talked about Benedict Arnold, mm-hmm. uh, who, of course, was a uh, a high ranking military official during the Revolutionary War, who was uh, angry that no one else in the army liked him, and uh, had uh, uh, married a very young, very pretty woman, who a lot a lot of people say. Controlled a lot of his actions uh, in this on. time, uh, and after a very small admonishment from General Washington, uh, he ended up accepting a job as brigadier general in the English army and betraying jerk. the United States at the time. Yeah, yeah, the colonies, I suppose, betraying the colonies. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, I think another honorable mention: LeBron James. Sure. Which you mentioned yep. before. Be- yeah, yeah,
1: betrayed Cleveland, went to Miami. Uh, I don't know a lot about sports. I had to have someone explain mm. this to sports me. Sports ball. Uh, sports ball does a lot of points. I think. Um, but I do know that uh, LeBron James, had uh, Cleveland was his hometown. Yeah, uh, He had signed with Cleveland. He had been there, I think, for seven years. Um, and it, it is very traditional in the game of basketball that you kind of uh, uh, stay a star in the place that signed you. Um, it had happened a lot before. And uh, him deciding to leave to Miami was not only a betrayal for that, but also because he chose to do it in a very... Uh, interesting and and convoluted way by producing his own thirty minute television show called The Decision, where he let everyone in his in his hometown and the two teams know which team he was deciding on and went to Miami. But he also he did it for his own legacy, and mm-hmm. there are a lot of arguments for that as well as as one of the greatest no, players jerk. possibly what to a have jerk. ever live. He's just
0: a jerk. That's all we know. Uh, Twenty four. No spoilers, but uh, well, actually spoilers. So spoiler alert. Uh, Jack Bauer with 24 Nina she turned out to be a Russian spy like in like a couple seasons in big betrayal
1: didn't see that coming that's for sure I also I thought about doing Winston from 1984 who eventually loses his last shred of humanity by Mm. selling out the woman he loves oh yeah Peter Pettigrew (gasps) that's a good one Peter
0: Pettigrew from Harry Potter sold out his friends for Voldemort yeah
1: and it was really really crummy uh, the Marquis de Martuil in uh, Dangerous Liaisons. Mm-hmm. I think I said that right. I think it's Martuil. Uh, I think Mar- so. I think Martuil, that's... something like that. Isn't that.
0: Was it Wild Things? Yeah. No. Is that, is oh, that what it?
1: Yeah, was it? yeah uh, whatever it was made into. I can't remember now, yeah, but yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you got anything else? Uh, no, that's uh, that's it for me. I oh. believe
0: well, as far as betrayals. Yeah. yeah, well, I don't got anything else. Uh, Great. Right? Uh, yeah. So if uh, you liked what we talked about today, or if you have any suggestions for games that we should do a little uh, research on their uh, their themes, oh, Gollum. He's a good betrayer. Gollum is a good one. Yeah, he betrayed a lot of people. He and sure himself. did. Yeah. Deep. Uh, so anyway, if you liked <laughs> anything we did or if you have any uh, suggestions, uh, go ahead and email us at beyondtheboardpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can also find us on the Instagrams uh, at goingbtb. You can find me, Mike Riemann, on Twitter and Instagram at twopancakes
1: and the two Pancakes. You can find me, Michael Sater, on Instagram at psychmater. That's what all the cool kids are using nowadays, Instagram. Yeah. I
0: I need to get on Twitter better. (laughs) That's for sure. Um, Yeah, and thanks to the Nerdologues for having us on their network. As always. And uh, from beyond the board, we're We're Mike. Mike.
1: And I'm Coo Coo for Cocoa Puffs. That's the one we went with. I don't know. That's the one we went with. Stabulator wasn't that much better. Come on. Podcast has been produced in association
0: with the Nerdalogs. To find out more about the Nerdalogs and their shows, visit www.nerdalogs.com or slash Nerdalogs. Thanks for listening. Coo coo coo, coo 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 coo
1: coo 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 coo